welcome to episode 14 and the first takeout podcast of 2022 with me, Al Morton. Ooh, hang on a minute. I've got an email. It's from the Prime Minister's office in Downing Street, London. Hi, Al. After what has been an incredibly busy period, we thought it would be nice to make the most of the lovely weather and have a socially distanced knees up in the garden of number 10. We've been listening to your takeout podcast, which is awful, by the way, but thought you could bring your guitar for a good old sing-song. Also, would you mind popping by the co-op in the Strand to pick up a suitcase of booze? Don't bring any of that cheap red Spanish muck you seem so partial to. Some champers in one-pipe bottles would be nice. Phew, well, it's good to feel wanted. And at least we're not locked down and in a period of national mourning for the passing of the Queen's consort. That would never do. It does seem like Prime Minister Johnson has managed to get himself into a bit of hot water, especially with regards to the Queen. I did find myself wondering what the conversation would be like once he received that call from Buckingham Palace. I know she would rather meet him face to face, but with all these Omicrons about, well, it would be kind of by phone, wouldn't it? Or no, let's just go with phone. Let's go with phone. Prime Minister's office. Who? Hey, Rupert, get a load of this. Oh, for flip's sake, try and keep it down. Can't you see I'm on the phone? Ooh, hang on a minute. Put that bloody pig down. No, stop it. That's disgusting. Oh, um, sorry. Who is it speaking again? Oh, it's you, Your Majesty. Oh, we appear to have a right clever clogs here. I'm well aware of who I am. Put me through to him right now. Through to who, ma'am? You know, jolly well who. Now one is very busy, so kindly get on with it. Oh, shut the damn door. It's just that the only person who ever calls him on this line, ma'am, is, um, um, well, probably best not to mention her. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put you through. It's Her Majesty the Queen, Prime Minister. Oh, crikey. Can't you tell the old crow to naff off or something? The strippers are about to start and, um, um, and I'll miss the canapes. Alex, exactly who or what are you busy with this time? Oh, terribly sorry, ma'am. I thought it was that awful trust creature. She keeps on pestering me, you know, about the grace and favour mansion that she has to share with the I mean, Rob. We're preparing a surprise party for her. She nailed a pork pie deal. Oh, a party? No, um, not not a party. I mean, more a business meeting. A pork pie-centred business meeting. One moment. Silly old me. Oh, give me a break, Alex. Please, um, um, just call me, um, Boris. Everybody does. Yes, I'm familiar with what everybody calls you. Now look, about these parties that you know nothing about and didn't attend... Oh, for heaven's sake, don't you lot ever do any bleeding work at number 10? No, ma'am. I mean, uh, yes, ma'am. Of course we do. We've put your crown on pint glasses and uh, um, um, some other stuff. The Pritster has got an absolutely spiffing idea for a new supersonic weapon that the Navy can use to repel refugees in dinghies by making them throw up. I hope you're not lying to me again like you did when you illegally suspended Parliament. Anyway... 
Why don't you just show them a photo of yourself on your morning jog? That should make anybody throw up. Now look, it's about time my government's got grip. There's enough on my plate already with Andy's shenanigans without you adding to my worries. By the way, if I discover that you've been breaking the laws of my realm, I will have your head on a pike staff above the railings of number 10. Lord knows the place is looking shabby enough after your latest squeeze got through wallpapering it. I, I, I think you'll find that Lulu Little is one of the best interior designers in the country. Yes, too bad she appears to be so rubbish in the town. I mean, really, gold wallpaper. That's even tackier than Melania's redecoration of Trump Towers. Although, not tacky enough if reports of peeling wallpaper in your flat next door to number 10 are to be believed. <laughs> Honestly, it's just a bit of fun, really. But it did remind me of a Turkish proverb. When a clown moves into a palace, he doesn't become a king. Instead, the palace becomes a circus. It does feel as if something has gone very wrong. We have Russians poised to invade Ukraine, and it could be argued that Brexit may well have worked to their advantage, as a substantially weakened Europe must have looked like an open invitation to invade. The Russian report never did reveal where the dark money was coming from to fund a leave campaign, but we are all starting to see the effects of it I have never seen such division in my home country, but worryingly, these problems are often resolved by war. Let's not get too carried away. Let's stay focused on the matter in hand. I'm talking about the ludicrously named Operation to Save Big Dog. The campaign to save Johnson's political career and possibly marriage. Although Operation Dog's Dinner would probably be more like it. The latest news is that the Met Police, headed by the perversely named Dame Cressida Dick of The Yard, will be investigating Partygate and potential breaches of COVID-19 regulations. You're joking. Not another one? Say, I can't honestly, I can't stand this. It would appear that Carrie held a birthday party for Johnson during the height of lockdown. I know, I know. He was only there for 10 minutes. He was at the Downing Street Garden Party for at least 25 minutes. So I guess the good news is that he's becoming much better at spotting whether or not he's at a party. <laughs> well, I think he's doing a good job. It was a working party, of course, with a slice of cake and a few friends, certainly no more than 30, and Lulu Little was forced to attend because, well, wallpaper. Perhaps she was there to collect because she heard that the Prime Minister was a little light on cash. Who knows? Well, I don't care what he does. He wants to have a party. Go let him. This Save the Big Dog from the Police thing does raise a few questions. Firstly... How did the police find out? It's only been two years. What happens if Prime Minister Johnson is found guilty? Will the fixed penalty notice be served in a doggy bag? 
maybe I'm being a little unkind. So in order to maintain balance and follow the splendid example of our cherished BBC political journalism, I think that's what it's called these days, I decided to carry out my own investigation and share with you a few posts from the kind of critter you find on Twitter. Mrs Nigel Farage of Brexit on Sea tweets, I hear Marks and Spencers are bringing out a new Boris the Badger birthday cake. I think this is some kind of reference to Johnson's claim that he was ambushed by a cake at his allegedly illegal birthday party gathering. By the way, I don't think it really is Mrs Farage, as her avatar looks suspiciously like Margaret Thatcher. Martin Catamole helpfully responded with a picture of a chocolate birthday cake, which he suggests may have come from Jen Akuri. The cake looks delicious, apart from the fact that it is topped by two pink large blancmanges in the shape of some rather well-rounded breasts with glacier cherries for nipples. Oh, shocking. It probably comes with a best-before-ten-minutes-time sell-by date. This should be one for the new Ann Summers food hall. Maggie May posts that she is really hoping that the Sue Gray report on Tory drinking working party events doesn't include photocopies of anyone's bum. Summer, in February, replies, The face is bad enough. Oh, that's mean. Ellis led two posts. A woman has just rung into LBC. We should move on. We're walking into a Remainer plot. Now I hope that these tweets will be of some comfort to any Americans who happen to be listening, especially the news anchor that tried to claim that the torching of the Fox News Christmas tree was a Democrat plot instigated by Joe Biden. Yes, that's right. We've got them in the UK too. You can't talk about Twitter without including at least one COVID-idiot. This one comes from Daniel Hannan who claims to be some kind of journalist. Oh, I just looked him up. It's Baron Hannon of Kingsclear, if you please. There is a picture of Margaret Thatcher on his bio. Oh, bless. He has tweeted an image of him wearing his mask on a train. He's looking quite earnest and thoughtful. He would like us to know that he is travelling first class. The text underneath reads... This should be the last day that we need to wear a mask. As of midnight, we become the freest place in Europe. The freest place in Europe, eh? That's right, folks. You heard it here first. Well, second, if you're on Twitter. I imagine that many Daily Express readers will be agreeing with him. Well, the ones who aren't planning on retiring to Spain or who have been forced to sell their Spanish second homes. Due to Brexit, which has put an end to freedom of movement. But what I'm noticing the most is how selective the mainstream news has become. I'll give you an example. There was a BBC report on sodden migrants arriving in Dover But in order to deliver this earth-shattering scoop, the TV crews would have had to drive past 17 kilometres of trucks queuing to get through customs and onto a ferry. You have to feel a little sorry for the drivers, as there are no bathroom facilities, and because of the delays, they are stuck in their cabs for many hours 
and in some cases days, yet not a word, not a ditty, and when there was no mention of it, eventually an explanation was offered. It was because one of the ferries was out of action. It must have been a huge ferry to accommodate 17 kilometres worth of trucks. Perhaps it was one of failing Chris Grayling's invisible ferries. Or maybe Doctor Who had something to do with it. One of those ferries that's bigger on the inside than the outside. As an aside, it would seem that at least one of the roadside cameras had been switched off. Anyway, I digress. Apart from the obvious inconvenience and a shortage of tea bags in Tunbridge Wells Co-op, a picture is starting to develop of the UK before it's joined the EU. I'm old enough to still remember the rampant, out-of-control inflation and sky-high business crippling interest rates. For a country like Britain, which earns its living from international trade, these latest indicators are depressing news. For without expanding markets for its exports, Britain cannot begin to cut down its enormous balance of payments deficit. There was division and industrial unrest. It is all starting to feel reminiscent of those bad old days, and that is before we get on to the lasting damaging effects of the pandemic. So there you have it. I know a lot of people say to me, Al, I quite like your podcasts. Not the political stuff, obviously, and the guitar playing's a bit flaky. But, you know, I do think some of the jokes, they're not funny. Yeah, and you're always having a go at Boris. You know he's doing the best he can, don't you? doing the best he can. You are listening to episode 14 of the Al Morton Takeout. So I made up my mind I wasn't going to ramble on too much about politics or Brexit. But then something happened this week that made me think, this stuff is making my blood boil. Another weather forecast brought to you by World King Airlines. The name you can trust in world climate change. Are you thinking of jetting off to an unnecessary government meeting in faraway places such as Australia? Or perhaps you're a special British government minister and don't fancy travelling with a plane load of Aussies? Or maybe it's just that you're too posh to eat an in-flight meal made up of Tim Tams and Foster's Lager. Forget that Zoom meeting. Leave that to the plebs. Why not travel in unadulterated luxury on your own massively expensive Airbus A321 jets, rated five-star by British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss? Too expensive at half a million pounds, you say? Certainly not. It's a great way to travel 22,000 miles. And besides, who cares about 500 tonnes of CO2 added to the environment when you've just hosted the World Climate Conference? We all know that the British taxpayer is happy to pay it. World King Airlines. Bringing global warming closer to home. to move on from politics and I'm hearing howls of it was only a piece of cake from Johnson fanboys and girls 
and I'm the first to agree there are more pressing matters. But my point is that if you lie about the small things, you cannot be trusted with the big things. So the thing that got me really mad about all of this is that Liz Truss's flight wasn't even on the RAF plane that, according to Metro.co.uk, Johnson spent 900000 having decked out with UK livery. If you think spending half a million on a round trip to Oz was profligate, wait until you hear what this new charter cost the taxpayer. According to a former RAF pilot, Andy Netherwood, to save on pesky competition, the Cabinet Office used an existing contract with a Bradford-based travel agent called Corporate Travel Management North Limited. Onto this, they tacked a £75 million amendment to provide the VIP A321 for the next two years. Remember when the VIP Voyager was fitted with business class seats in 2016? This came at the cost of £10 million, which they said was to save on charter. Because the aircraft has been held on lease and has been decked out with United Kingdom livery, unlike other commercial aircraft, it can't be used for anything else, so it spends most of its life sat on the runway at Stansted and costs the taxpayer £72,000 a week. Wow, no wonder there's no money left. <laughs> right, I think I've probably gone on enough about Brexit and politics. Although today is the day that we celebrate the anniversary of our separation from the tyranny of the EU and the many benefits Brexit has brought us, like free trips to Australia. I believe that an important role of any podcaster and wannabe web personality is to entertain, which is all very well. But as I've said before, podcasting has an awkward demographic. It is a young person's medium. And whilst there is an audience for our generation, they're kind of hard to target. We're so elusive and sophisticated. (laughs) I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but I live in Spain. And besides... I got the kind of face that's better suited to radio. Oh well, it is what it is. At this point, I would normally tell a funny story, but we're a little short of time, and if you live in the UK, it will not have escaped your notice that last week we lost one of the great comedy writers of our time, Barry Cryer. So I thought a fitting tribute to him would be a parrot joke. I know I'm not quite as funny as him, but here goes anyway. A man goes into a pet shop, having seen a beautiful parrot in the shop window. It's only five pounds. It's quite cheap. He asks the pet shop owner, why is this parrot only five pounds? Well, you see, he's a bit of a troublemaker. I sold him three times last week already, but people keep bringing him back. What does he do that's so bad? Well, for a start, he swears a lot, and he attacked my next-door neighbour's cat. Give it a right nasty peck, it did. Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. As luck would have it, I did my thesis on avian psychology and I'm certain that whatever it gets up to, I will be able to modify its behaviour appropriately. 
he pays the shopkeeper and happily takes the parrot home. It's a real bargain. No sooner than the parrot is in the house, the trouble starts. Here, Baldy. What the f*** are we having for dinner then? Suddenly, it opens the lock on the parrot's cage and flies at the owner, snatches his glasses and drops them onto the floor where they break into a million pieces. You should have gone to Specsavers. With that, he flies over to the fridge and deposits a streak of bird poo right down the front of the door. How's that for a smeg fridge then? The man tries to stay calm, but at the end, anger gets the better of him. He snatches the parrot by the throat and hurls it into the smeg fridge and slams the door. The parrot can be heard squawking and swearing and making a terrible racket. But all of a sudden, it falls silent. The man thinks, Oh no, I may have killed it. Fearing the worst, he carefully opens the door. The parrot looks at him, his head bowed in true contrition, and then hops onto his arm. I'm really sorry I was naughty. I mean, I promise to be good from now on, always. By the way, what the f*** did the chicken do? <laughs> it's quite late in the evening and around this time I like to talk about some of the cultural differences between Spain and the UK but before I do I want to remind listeners that you can find out more about these podcasts including artistic credits on almorton.com forward slash takeout. Sadly, I've had to suspend making the transcripts. It takes quite a long time to do it. Perhaps it's something I'll revisit a little bit later. I suppose I suffered from a kind of cognitive dissonance on moving to Spain 18 years ago. We all tend to think that everyone is like ourselves, but in reality, this is not the case. In our first year, we went out for a meal with a couple of families from my son's school. There were about ten of us in total. They ordered one bottle of wine and made it last all night. I was spitting feathers by the time I got home. However, it was good to go out to a restaurant stroke bar and not be banished to the family room. I quickly got used to the family-centred lifestyle of Spain. No more babysitters. And our children were able to grow up in a mature environment and were accepted as an important part of the community. I recall visiting the UK a few years later where we visited a Toby Steak Bar. They did a vegetarian option before you start. We, <laughs> we were enjoying the country pub atmosphere until a waitress arrived and told us that we would have to sit outside because our boys were aged eight and nine. She directed us to the beer garden where there were some benches and picnic tables. It was dark, cold and raining. Can't we eat indoors? I'm terribly sorry, but children just aren't allowed in the bar. It's for their own protection. My wife was keen to find out what kind of protection was being afforded us by our exile to the garden. And there was a small matter of, well, rain. I'll put an umbrella up then. The laws of the UK were intended to prevent young people being indoctrinated into a laddish culture of street drinking 
and hooliganism. My British pub exclusion order happened many years ago. I dare say things have changed a bit since. You could be forgiven for thinking us Brits have always been a little elitist. But from my observations, there is a trend which is well underway. I see it in the behaviour of anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers and the anti-foreigners brigade. There is a kind of culture war raging through social media. There is uncontrolled anger, intolerance and abuse. Only today the British news has been reporting about a mob verbally assaulting Keir Starmer and calling him a paedophile. Yes, I know. I know we're not talking about the sharpest pencils in the packet. But somehow... These people are coalescing and appear to be using boot boy tactics. Other examples in the culture war include posts on social media of Spaniards in the UK receiving abuse for speaking in Spanish on public transport. Here, you lot, speak in English or naff off back to where you came from. This type of aggression is often backed up with intimidating or threatening behaviour. By contrast, Spanish people seem to accept that the English will more often than not address Spaniards in English. I was in the driving test fitness evaluation centre the other day, and an Englishman came in. He had lived in Spain for many years, but he wanted to renew his licence. He spoke to the young lady in English. I need to see the doctor about my driving licence. He didn't even have the most basic vocabulary. The receptionist didn't tell him to naff off back to his own country. Instead, she smiled and asked him, in English, to take a seat. Someone would be along to see him shortly. I thought I would share with you some insight into what life is really like for ordinary people living in Spain. I was going to tell you about the process of getting our TIE residence cards that British people need to carry thanks to Brexit. The process involves trips to the town hall, passport-sized photos, online form filling, multiple trips to the police station, if you're lucky enough to find an appointment, fingerprinting, bank payments that cannot be made online and only at certain cashiers on specific times and days. All that good stuff. But I'm not going to tell you anything about all of that because to relive the experience will almost certainly be the end of me. More on that in a minute. After the age of 60, Spain requires that you demonstrate a fitness to drive. I knew this was coming, so I'd been busy practising sounding the horn impatiently, parking in the middle of pedestrian crossings and not using the indicators, ever. I was particularly proud of having mastered the emergency stop in order to chat to my mate Pedro. Oh, come on, we've all done it. The test was not as expected. The clinic was busy. The furniture in the waiting room looked as if it had seen better days, but there was worse. They had music playing on an infinite loop. Plastic plants and plaster buddhas were dotted about the place. Everyone looked shifty. I guess they thought the same about me. My name was called. I stood up with confidence. I didn't need to be tested. I'm a black belt. We can do anything. The lady... I don't know if she was a doctor. They seemed to do cosmetic surgery there also. She had a white coat and not to put too fine a point on it. 
She looked as if she'd just come from squirting Botox into some leathery-faced prune. She asked me a whole bunch of questions. How many miles do you drive each year? How much do you drink? And what's your favourite brand of mayonnaise? I asked if I could put my pants back on before the eye test. (laughs) No, I didn't really. But I think she was impressed with my pronunciation. Then it was off to a room where there was something that looked rather like a video game console. I had to hold two steering handles, one for the left hand and one for the right. What am I supposed to do with this? You're going to drive it. Really? Why? Because we want to know how good your reactions are. So I get behind the wheel of this thing and off it goes. She stood beside me with a clipboard. All of a sudden the road curves sharply to the left and then to the right. I crash into the curb and the machine goes... I mean really loudly. I can hear tutting noises coming from behind the clipboard. This goes on for a few minutes with more and more crashes. My driving is getting worse and I haven't even had a drink yet. She seems unsurprised. Come with me, she says rather curtly. We're back in the small room again. Take your watch off. Why? I do sometimes wear it when I'm driving. Because I want to measure your blood pressure. She straps a thing that looks like the ugliest Rolex ever made to my wrist. It too makes irritating bleeping noises. At the end of the test, she peers at the results. We need to do it again. After the fourth attempt, I'm starting to worry. I'm not good with machines. Muy alta. You have big pressure. You must see the medical immediately. Okay, I'll do that. Can I still drive? Um, yes, sign this. You will receive a new license in the post if you have passed. Her body language is distinctly negative. days later, I remembered that I needed to see the doctor urgently. I'm giving the appointment for the same day using the Valentian app, which I highly recommend, although I was somewhat surprised to see that it had only been given a two-star review on Play Store apps. I wondered why, so I read a couple of them. Unbelievably, the main complaint was that it was not in English. Catatonic stupidity does not begin to describe these reviewers, but it reminded me of an article from the Lancashire Telegraph, which also got covered by the Daily Mail. I quote, British grandmother claims her holiday to Benidorm was ruined because her Spanish hotel had too many Spaniards in it. It's an old article from 2017, but it did raise a few eyebrows here. Obviously not ones that have been freshly Botoxed by the polyclinicer at the driving centre. Frida Jackson, 81, Blackburn, Lancashire, claims trip to Benidorm was ruined. Grandmother says Spanish holidaymakers got on her nerves and were rude. Mrs Jackson said the entertainment in the hotel was all focused and catered for the Spanish. There's more. Why can't the Spanish go somewhere else for their holidays? There's an image of her looking most dischuffed, holding up her letter of complaint. Here, those pesky Spaniards, ruining our bingo in English. (laughs) Oh well, it takes all sorts, I suppose. I did notice that the app was available in both languages, Valentiano 
and Spanish. My doctor normally appears irritated to see me, but today he was smiling. He considers me to be amongst the worried well and a hindrance to those who really need his services. I sat myself down whilst accidentally dropping my bag in a bin full of used face masks. The six cans of extra-large cockroach spray that were beside his desk last time I visited had gone and the wilting plants had received a good watering. Things were looking up. I told him why I was there. Oh, those idiots at the driving centre sent you here, did they? They are utterly clueless. They told me that my blood pressure was 20. 20 what, I said. Now go home, take your own blood pressure, and if it's high, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. We'll look into it. It's nearly time for me to go. And as is often the case, I like to leave the last word to my great friend and master of the guitar, Mike Britton. Although we are well into the new year, and there have been some correspondence about the Queen's speech, mostly unbroadcastable, I did ask him if he'd done anything exciting to bring in the new year, as my own had been rather quiet, really. In an email entitled, Queen Alone at Christmas Lunch, except for herds of royals, and 327 staff, dot, dot, dot. Hi, Al. Thanks for your email. Like you guys, one has kept the celebrations fairly simple for this new year. After the floodlit fly-past of dirigibles, romance stunt parachutists dropped with trays of exotic finger food, we had the usual coloured fountain display, and of course, fireworks for half an hour. Then the party really began with naked Cuban go-go dancers on roller skates and the sequin-covered elephant parade. All rather tame, really, in these restrained times. <laughs> I have to say, the elephant, it does sound rather like a certain Dixieland band tuning up. The Red Arrows display did briefly lift the yawns from a few phases before the life-sized marzipan replica of Big Ben sounded the demise of a dull year. Sounds like you were lucky with the nymph nurse who administered your jab. My encounter in hospital with Miss Nightingale's descendants had both arms looking like a purple dartboard. It's hard to keep the brain going, isn't it? One wonders if the lack of intellectual challenge is having a deleterious effect on the mind. I was thinking this the other day, whilst colouring in a crossword puzzle. I had mentioned to him that my beautiful dog had died, one of the reasons for the delay in getting this next episode out. Anyway, back to the email. You mentioned that your dog was 16, a good age for a dog. Well, I'm 77, a very good age for a jazz guitarist! Exclamation mark. History records a mortality rate for jazz twangers only slightly better than a rear gunner on a Lancaster bomber. I enjoyed your last podcast, by the way. Glad you liked the whitey Christmas thingy. It's not spoons on the solo breaks, but a famous flamenco dancer who was short of the price of a drink and who agreed to dance on a biscuit tin for me. I wish you and your tribe a better New Year, Mike. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mike. You definitely brought some much-needed class to this podcast. 
This podcast was written, performed, and produced by All Mode.